Good morning, everybody. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? That's a good question. It is good to be back. I, I just want to say it's so good to be back after that sabbatical. Um, took the month of July off with the family, and I want to thank you guys for uh, making that possible. Um, it, was, it was more needed than I realized. You, you ever do that? Like you, you do something in life and you're like, man, I needed that more than I even thought possible. So thank you guys so much. And thank you for welcoming us back as well. And not saying, hey, we figured out we don't need you here. <laughs> so uh, it feels good to be back. I'll tell you, we, we visited several churches um, during that time. And man, it's, it's really cool to see all the things that God is doing throughout this city in his church, capital C Church. You know, we do believe there's one church, amen. There's one church here in San Diego. It is, it is God's church, and we get to be a part of that family. And so it is wonderful to go and check out all the different expressions of God's church and, and meet different kinds of people and hear different kinds of preaching, listen to different kinds of music. And um, I'll, I'll say a couple things. One thing I, that warmed my heart, actually, was um, every time without fail that we left another service, um, my wife and kids would turn to me and say, kind of wish we were back at New City. And, and, I, and it's not because, like, we're so polished and we've got it all figured out. Like, but it's, it's you guys. It's the family that feel the same when you go somewhere else. So thank you for that. And uh, also the thing I noticed when we would go to other churches is how hard it was as a pastor to turn off and just, and just sit and be there. Because, I mean, there's so many things. Like, you're sitting there and you see things that um, maybe you think that your church, your church community you could do better. Like, so somebody walks in and they obviously don't know where they're going or what's going on and nobody's walking up and greeting them. And I'm like, oh, I've got to greet them. You know, I start walking over. I'm like, okay, calm down, Vince. You're on sabbatical. You don't have to fix all the problems. And then you see other things that this church is doing and, and the way they did the lights and the way they did this thing. And it's amazing. You're like, oh, we need that. And I, I found myself walking up to like the AV guy at one of the churches and was like, dude, okay, so that slide that you did, how did you? And right when he started to respond to me, I felt the Holy Spirit say, go sit down. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? This isn't recon. It's sabbatical, you know. So, um... And I think that kind of awakened uh, just an awareness in me of how difficult it is. I think for me, but for all of us in our society, to just stop and slow down. Because we're always pursuing something. We're always chasing something. And a couple years ago, um, I read a book by Steinbeck. It's become my favorite novel of all time uh, called East of Eden. And uh, this struggle that was going on in my heart reminded me of this quote. And I threw it up on the screen. And I think it's a profound quote. He says, underneath their topmost layers of frailty, men want to do good and want to be loved. Indeed, most of their vices are attempted shortcuts to love. And I started thinking about that. Let that, let that just marinate on your cranial tissue for a second. You know, when you think about all the things going on in our world, uh, man, stuff that I, I feel like we're alive back in the 60s and 70s, right? The threat of nuclear war and political unrest. And man, the stuff happening in Charlottesville this weekend. 
and the anger and the hatred and the fear. And you start thinking, what do I have to offer that? What do I have to give to that? And how did those people get there? Could I get there? Is that Christian notion that the same brokenness out there is the brokenness in here? Is that, is that true? And I, I think, as I was meditating on that, if, if, if Steinbeck is right, and I think he is, then our biggest struggle in life may not actually be the fear and the anxiety and the anger and all the big stuff out there. And it may not be the stuff even that we deal with in our day to day. The fears and anxieties about our relationships and about our careers and about what's next and finances. And our biggest struggle may be believing that we are in fact loved and valued. I think we all want to accomplish something with our life, right? Most of us, we look at our life kind of through the lens of accomplishment. I mean, you know, we want to do something, whether it's something grandiose in society to bring some big change, or whether it's we want to write a book, or win an award, or, you know, start, a, start an amazing career, or own a home in San Diego, you know, <laughs> or invent something that gets featured on Shark Tank, you know, or whatever, you know, it's... We want to do something. As Christians, I think even more, it's kind of incumbent upon us. We want to like, do something with our life. We want to make, make a change. And the older you get, the more you start to realize that your, like your happiness or your sadness in life is greatly dependent upon what you see when you look in the rearview mirror. That's right. And what kind of legacy you're leaving. What kind of place you've carved out for yourself in the world. What, what am I leaving behind? We all want to do something with our life, and that was highlighted for me so much on my sabbatical as I sat around completely useless to anybody. It's as if God said, no, Vince, just sit in a chair and don't do anything. Do you realize how hard that is? I'm like, no, I've got to go, 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 because I've got, I got to do something, because I'm part of this, this, this race, this game to do something with my life, to accomplish something. Henry Nouwen says it this way, this quote, it's as if life is one large scoreboard where someone is listing the points to measure our worth. And before we're fully aware of it, We've sold our soul to the many grade givers. And when that happens, when we're living for all of that, it means we're not only in the world, but we're of the world. We've become what the world makes us. We're intelligent because somebody gives us a good grade. We're likable because somebody smiles at us. We're, we're, we're valuable because somebody says thank you. Before you know it, Eventually, we begin believing that we, we are what we do. So how do we escape that broken cycle of always pursuing, always doing, always moving, always going and trying to find what Steinbeck's talking about, what Henry Nouwen's talking about? In the beginning of Christ's ministry, he takes a journey in the wilderness. And I believe it's, it's something that I felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of moving on my heart that he was leading me in during this sabbatical time. And I want to give you a view into that and also kind of I, I hope 
that you'll accept an invitation to possibly follow that journey as well for yourself. Because I believe that that journey holds the key to so many of the struggles and issues that we're facing in our society and even in our daily lives here. Um, let's turn to Luke chapter 3. And I'm going to just kind of walk through the early part of Luke. A couple verses here, a couple verses there through Luke 3 and 4. Um, and it all starts out with the baptism of Jesus. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. I've got the ESV up. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So I want you to imagine that scene, right? There's been 400 years of silence, no prophets, no new books written in what we would call today the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And all of a sudden, this fiery prophet appears on the scene with like honey in his beard and grasshopper legs in his teeth and He's on fire proclaiming something different is happening. I'm inviting you guys out to the wilderness. Come out and be baptized in the Jordan. Of course, the Jordan signifies this, this change over from the old way of doing things into this new identity as God's people, right? They, they left the wilderness and they came into the promised land. But once they got there, they didn't follow the ways of their God. They didn't live in his rule and reign and the shalom that was theirs, in the grace of God, but they, what did they do? Turn their backs on him. They worshiped false idols, and they, they broke what was meant to be God's people's promised land. And so John's inviting them back, and he's saying, repent, guys. It's time to come back out to the wilderness. Be baptized again. God is doing a new thing. And into that political chaos, into that scene, Jesus walks and into that river he wades and he gets down and into that, that, that Jordan River he's baptized by John. And when he comes up out of the water, a scene we're all familiar with, if we've been reading the Bible for a while, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and the Father says, you are my beloved child. I am well pleased with you. And the part that really grabbed my attention in the sabbatical was the fact that God said, I'm well pleased with you. And if you think about it, Jesus really hasn't done anything yet. You know? He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't healed one blind eye. He hasn't, he hasn't raised one person from the dead. He hasn't taught about the kingdom. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't resurrected from the dead. He hasn't done anything. And yet the Father speaks over him, I love you. I'm well pleased with you. You're the beloved child of God. God's pleasure, God's pronouncement over him is not based on his performance. It's purely based on the fact that God loves him. His identity is the love of God. You are the beloved. And the thing that hit me during this time is how that's true of us and yet how tired that can get for us. You know what I'm saying? Like the apostle John, 
John, the, the, the beloved disciple, spends an entire gospel in three letters trying to beat this into the church. Guys, I want you to get this. You are the beloved of God. Read this. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You are the beloved child of God. I want you to think about this. Nothing is more true of you. When Jesus is baptized in that water and he comes out, he's not, he's not coming out of that water as Jesus the carpenter, Jesus the son of Mary, Jesus, all these other things that his identity was built on, those are still part of who he is, but there's nothing more foundational to the bedrock of who he is than the fact that he is the beloved child of God. And that's true of us in Christ. And so many times I struggle to believe that. It's like water off a duck's back. It's a truth I've heard over and over. And the words and the familiarity with it cause it to kind of lose its effect in my heart. Brendan Manning says it this way. He says, The novelty of the gospel is that Jesus, the beloved Son of God, does not hoard this experience for himself. He invites us and calls us to share the same intimate, liberating relationship. In fact, living in awareness of our belovedness is the axis around which the Christian life revolves. And I realize as I'm trying to let this sink into my heart over the last 30 days that this will affect you. This truth will affect you to the degree that these two things are true. To the degree that you can accept that you're even lovable. Because I don't know about you, but as I age, I start to see life. Uh, Cameron and I were talking a couple days ago. You notice how time goes faster as you get older? It's because each year is a smaller percentage of your whole, total life. Right? And in, in the same way, it's like, um, my life seems more and more broken. The more I see myself, the more I see the things I've done, the things I've said, the emotions, the, the motivations, all these things in here, unless I'm just shutting them out and acting like they're not true of me and living in denial, if I really face the brokenness that's in here, I start to really struggle with how I view myself. And it's really easy to project all those ways that we see ourselves onto our Father. The words that have been spoken over us, we project those onto our Father. Do you believe that you're even that lovable? Do you believe it could be true of you that he loves you that much? And the second thing is, you can see God in his glory. Like to realize who it is that calls you the beloved in the first place. This isn't just like old grandpa in the sky that kind of just has to love all his grandkids, even the weird one, you know? We love him. Yeah. <laughs> He's, yeah, there he goes again. We love him. Uh, you know, this is the God that spoke and everything that is came into being from the smallest atoms to the grand cosmos and the multiverse and stuff that I think with our finite minds, if we try to grasp, it just becomes numbers and pictures and charts, but we can't get there, how big it is. And yet God's outside of all that. And he stands outside of time. 
And he sees you're in from the beginning. This God, this grand God enters into that story. And he chooses to opt in even when people turn their back on him. The first people who had it perfect, man. Like if he, if he just had one opportunity to not screw it up, Adam and Eve had it. One tree, don't eat that one. I feel like my whole life is walking through a garden of trees and all of them are the wrong one. And I got to try to find the one right one, you know? They screwed it up and he, he loves them. He, he sets his affection on them. He forgives them. He calls people out of idolatrous nations that are worshiping false gods and says, I've set my affection on you. He calls Israel out of slavery and leads them through the Red Sea and washes away their past and their pursuers behind them and starts a new people with a new identity. And that's what this baptism is pointing to. Jesus is not all the things that people might see him as. He is the beloved of God. Can you see yourself that way? Then sabbatical... Um, Everything didn't go as planned. I thought I thought I was going to have more alone time than I ended up having, which um, ended up being a blessing. But partway through, it was kind of like I, I hung out. My parents went out of town for three weeks. Nancy's at school, so I had the boys for three weeks. So I had like all these plans to do this road trip here and get alone with God on a mountain, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just walk through the forest and be and feel the leaves crunch under my feet. Just like, I am human. I am alive. You know, that kind of thing. And instead I'm sitting at home like, yeah, just uh, turn on the next show. (laughs) I need time in my Bible. Just, you know. So I was kind of in this, like, if I'm honest, I was in this state where I was just like dad and babysitter and all that stuff. And there, there comes a time, you know, when you spend more time with people that even though like you love them, like friction happens. You guys experience that? Yeah. And even more so, like, no, some of you know, but most of you, yeah? yeah? Okay, cool. So that's what I'm going for, the bell curve. Like most of you guys. Okay. Um, and for those of you who do not experience that, teach us your ways, please. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I forget what it was. I, I'm going to put Ivan on blast. If he's, <laughs> I forget what it was. If he was like, I don't know, he was... Um, I don't know, he didn't clean his room when I told him or he didn't get up on time or something. It was something really small, but because of the rub and everything, I remember giving him the fatherly scowl of disappointment and like saying like, well, you need to do better, you know, because that's my, that's my spiritual gangster. You need to do better. And um, I remember seeing his face drop and in that moment, I was just like, ah, oh, there it is. There's that anger, there's that lack of love. And I thought, I hope he never equates my love for him with his actions, with how good he does or bad he does. I remember we were at the pool, and I, I pulled him aside, and I said, sorry if I'm embarrassing you. i just getting super personal. I didn't ask him permission to do this. And you know what? My dad was a pastor. He used to do this, and I hated it. So I am sorry. <laughs> Don't hate me. Don't resent me. Um, I just told him, I said, look, if there comes a time in your life when you're looking back and you wonder if you did anything worthwhile and you wonder if you did anything good, I want you to know that you have been God's gift to me, that you are a miracle, that I love you, and nothing you could ever do would change that. 
And like, it was like one of those moments, you're like, oh, dad, thank you. And I'm like crying. And he's like, it's a good thing to say, father, you know. (laughs) But the thing that hit me, the reason why it affected me emotionally so much is because as I turned to say that to him, I felt that fatherly love of God come over me and say, yeah, that's true of you. And you're, you're a busted up, broken down dad. You're not perfect. But I'm a perfect father and I've loved you. Nothing you could ever do can change that. Do you believe, can you hear God's voice today in the stillness of this place speaking over you? You're my beloved child, my son, my daughter. I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. I enjoy you. Can you hear that? That's what Jesus hears. And um, I could probably close right there, actually. Like, if you could hear that today over yourself, that's enough. That would change your life. That would change my life. But Jesus moves from there in Luke 4, verse 1, and it says this. Um, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So immediately the Spirit calls him away to the wilderness. And he's tempted and tested for 40 days, much like Israel is tested for 40 years. You guys remember they're tested about their food and God rains down manna from the sky and they're tested about who they worship as they, you know, Moses disappears and God's up on a mountain somewhere so they build a golden calf and they're they're tempted and tested in all these ways, trusting to follow Moses. And in the same way, Jesus is tested kind of at the root of his identity because I think... If we think about the things we find our identity in, it's this. It's, it's what we do, what we have, and what others say about us, right? It's kind of like, what, what do I do that gives me identity? What do I have? My belongings, my possessions, and, and what other people's, people say about me. The, uh, the approval, the appetites, and the ambitions. And Satan tempts Jesus and how does Jesus respond? You guys remember? Scripture. Scripture. That's interesting for those who, who uh, my Theo nerds in here. Um, all those scriptures come from Deuteronomy, where God is speaking to Israel about the wilderness. And he's saying to Israel, he's saying, this is how I wish you would have responded in the wilderness. You know, you, you guys were hungry, and I fed you with manna but I gave you my word also so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is quoting these scriptures that God gives Israel in the wilderness where they're failing the test. And he's quoting those back to the enemy who's tempting him. And Jesus is in effect passing the test in the place of Israel. Does that make sense? God is passing the test for his people. He's facing, God in the flesh is facing the greatest temptations at the root of who we are. Our greatest struggles in life, our ambitions, our appetites, and, and our approval, and Jesus wins. And in the, in the middle of the wilderness, 
With that voice leading him, saying he's the beloved, he's, he's stripped, he's emptied out of everything else. Every other voice that would vie for his attention, that would call out good or bad toward him. Every distraction in his life. In that wilderness time, his ministry is forged. His identity is solidified as the beloved of God. He's emptied of everything else and just filled with God's love. Thomas Merton says this. He says, the indispensable condition for developing and maintaining the awareness of our belovedness is time alone with God. In solitude, we tune out the naysaying whispers of our worthlessness and sink down into the mystery of our true self. Do you have that in your life? Do you have a wilderness place in your life where you can go and be emptied out of all the other voices and all the other distractions and hear God's love over you, spoken over you, that you are the beloved child of God? Do you have a place of silence? See how awkward that feels? We don't like silence, do we? One of the things I learned on my sabbatical is how addicted I am to my phone. Um, I would take it in the bathtub with me. Anybody else do that? Yeah, I found out about a lady who did that and died. And I was like, oh, I do that, you know? So it made me aware of just, because it's just always here. It's always in my pocket or in my hand. It's my phone. Why wouldn't it be, you know? Um, And I realized I was... I was trying to find some kind of a space to hear God speak in my life. And uh, I was watching, you guys know Ed Sheeran? Yeah. <laughs> Shape of you. Yeah, okay. Um, he, uh, he was talking about his life and his creative process, and he said for the last couple of years he's, he's gotten rid of his phone. That's a pretty wild thing, right? He started with no social media, then he just totally got rid of his phone. And I don't know how that works as an artist. I don't know how they get in touch with him like fax machine or carrier pigeon. I don't know. But he, uh, he, he got rid of his phone. He was, he was sharing with the person he was interviewing like how much creative space he had, how much time he had to pause and reflect on his life. It's like think about a conversation he just had, not in an obsessive way, but just like I can think about stuff. I'm not always, I, and I realize, holy cow, I'm, when I get downtime, I'm so go, 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 touch and go, talk to people, everything. Right, and then I stop, and it's like, okay, time to relax in the bathtub. Go, 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 Instagram, Facebook. What is going on? We never come down. It's just like we're always going, and then finally we, we crash asleep at night, and we wonder why we're so stressed and why we're going all the time, right? Do you have a quiet space in your life. That was the hardest part for me. And I think what I started doing for my phone, I'm preaching about iPhones right now, um, but it's practical. So I'm going to share it. I said, you know, as a dad, as a pastor, I can't quite just get rid of my phone altogether. Wife, kids need to call me and all that stuff. So I'm just going to turn on airplane mode here and there. And then Kenny had a cool idea. Put your, Kenny's put his phone on grayscale. And so like, 
you don't see all the colors. It's not as attractive to your eyes to pull you there. And I turned off all my badges and all the red things and the notifications and the dingers and the things going off in your pocket and the vibrations. It's crazy what life without a phone is like. It's amazing. You have space to just think and be. And um, Okay, enough about that. I'm ranting. Um, the, the wilderness strips us of other voices, other dependencies, other longings. The wilderness shows you his provision in the middle of temptation, that, that he's actually all you need. That he's actually all you need. And the wilderness prepares us to follow his voice into our calling. And the third movement we see of Jesus is his movement into mission. Look at uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, uh, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. So what do we see? We see what, what Dale and Rams preached about so wonderfully. Didn't they do a good job last week? Yeah. That was good. By the way, can somebody get the ACs back here? It might just be me and the five cups of coffee I had, but I'm sweating. So are you guys hot? Yeah. Yeah? Half the crowd. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, but yeah, uh, they were talking about how Jesus puts the glory of God on display by giving people a preview of the kingdom, right? And so you see Jesus step into that, and he preaches about what the kingdom of God looks like. And this is all in chapter 4. He casts out evil spirit, and he heals multiple people. And how do people respond to Jesus' ministry? Some of them are blown away, and they believe, right? But others... Uh, they, they kind of like start poking fun at him and they, they mock him and they challenge his identity. Isn't this Joseph's kid? What's he doing up here? He's too big for his britches, man. What's Joseph's kid doing up here? And other people denounce him like the demon-possessed guy in the temple, which is kind of freaky. It'd be kind of like, you know, this guy was part of the small group and showing up on Sundays, you know? And then all of a sudden you're sitting in the gathering and Jesus shows up and the guy's like, who are you, son of God? And you're, Bob? <laughs> we had no idea. <laughs> I also watched a lot of stand-up comedy while I was... <laughs> Sorry. Um... They try to mock him. They try to denounce him. Some try to kill him. They lead him up a cliff and try to throw him off the cliff at the beginning of his ministry. And he walks, passes through the midst of them, which must have been quite a sight, and, and walks away. How did Jesus deal with all of the rejection and all of the, the trouble that he was going to walk into without coming apart at the seams? I mean, I can come apart at the seams if, the barista's a little mean. She didn't smile at me. You know, just like, Arr. how did he deal with that? The wilderness prepared him. Life is difficult, and I'm learning that this wilderness experience, if you don't have it, life will swallow you up. Ministry will swallow you up. I mean, first Sabbath back, it was, it was last Monday, and I was finally back, and I was like, oh, I get alone space. This is awesome. My parents are back in town. I'm going to have some free space. And then we went to the training for the mentoring at Roosevelt and Gavin got a fever. And so then we're up till two in the morning, you know, making chicken soup and like making sure he stays cool and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh man, 
here goes another Monday. And I was all, I was getting bummed about it, but I was like, all right, God, well, I, I trust you. Kind of resentfully kind of surrendering in worship. Right, whatever. Um, <laughs> to you be the glory. And um, in that moment, uh, well, my parents called and they, they were able to watch him. And so I ended up getting that alone time. And I remember like three hours in the morning. It was, it was cool, late morning, because we'd been up so late. I drove up to Soledad and I'm listening to, good old gospel music, because that's what I grew up on, Pentecostal church, and like choir music, just jamming, and I'm like, they sing this song about the sweetness of his name, and dude, I start, I start feeling the like Holy Spirit wash over me, and I start feeling the love of God so strong, and I'm praying, and all of a sudden, I'm like crying, I'm walking around Soledad, trying to like hide my face from people, because I'm just like feeling the love of God so strong, and uh, I was like, in that moment, I was like, God, this, this, this is all I need. I need you. I don't need anything else. This is the rest my soul craves. I need you. And then uh, I had a moment where I realized that um, David and Shannon had told us about this awesome happy hour at Bally High. So I was like, oh, I get to go to Bally High right now. I can do that. So cruise over to Bally High. And I was like, I'm going to enjoy a really good happy hour seeing some luau music and tiki statues everywhere. This is going to be awesome. And um, I get there, and the lady sets my order down. And right when she does, my phone buzzes in my pocket, and it's a Facebook message from my wife. I'm sitting in the hallway on my computer, locked out of the house. My phone is gone. I think it's at Costco if somebody hasn't stolen it yet. I was like, oh, man. Come on, dude. So then I like hop on the phone. I call Costco five times and they didn't answer. Just saying, Costco, if you're listening, fix your stuff. And so I was angry and I finally get my wife in the house and I, I go like, all right, half, half finished happy hour stuff. And I go to walk down to my car and drive up to Costco in traffic. And, and, I, and I feel the Holy Spirit say, hey, wait a second. I thought you said I was all you need. Yeah, but I need... A Mai Tai, too, you know? <laughs> and in that moment, I felt that peace and love come back over me and wash over my soul. And it was so cool because I got in my car and I turned on some Luciano Pavarotti and I was in my little classical bubble driving in traffic, like, ah, you know, just like singing Nessun Dorma at the top of my lungs, which none of you want to hear. Um... But I realized, like, coming back into life itself is difficult. You know, it's kind of like when you've been working out for a long time, and then you take a break for a month or two from working out, and you go to lift the same weights that you were. You feel the difference? You're like, man, I was benching that? That's amazing. I didn't realize how much I was doing and how much I was carrying. Oh, man, even, like, losing, I couldn't finish my Mai Tai. It just messed me up. And if you can't handle the small things, how are you going to handle the big things in ministry? How are you going to handle the rejection? How are you going to handle the people who are overwhelmed with fear and anger at the threat of nuclear war and at the things, the brokenness happening in Charlottesville? How are we even going to be prepared to deal with our friends and neighbors who are struggling? If we can't handle a freaking Mai Tai or a barista, if we don't have a quiet place in our life, that wilderness place, we'll never be ready to handle the mission that God has given to us. And so we see Jesus do this one last thing. 
Luke 4, 42 through 43. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. After a full day of pouring out in ministry, Jesus went to a lonely place to pray. To grow in the awareness that all the power he had was given to him. That all the words he spoke came from the Father. That all the works he did were not really his in the first place, but the works of the one who sent him. Listen, you can't be effective in this life without finding that quiet place with God. Because if you don't know who you are, if you don't know, if you're not convinced to your core of his love and acceptance of you, the voices of this life will speak too loud and the distractions of this life will shine too bright. But it's in that lonely place where Jesus finds the courage to follow God's will and not his own, to speak God's words and not his own, to, to do God's work and not his own. He reminds us of that constantly, doesn't he? Like in John, where he says, by myself I can do nothing. I seek to do not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Or what I say to you, I do not speak of my own accord. It is the Father living in me. How? It was in that quiet place where he got alone with the Father and was washed over with the love of God. And the temptations and the trials came and they stripped everything else away. And in that desolate wilderness, quiet spot, he remembered who he was and what life was all about. It's in that place we learn to embrace and pause and reflect and eventually prepare to follow the voice of God as he leads us into his mission. I'll close with this quote, start wrapping things up. One more Henry Nouwen quote. If if you haven't ever read Henry Nouwen, just read him. Somewhere we know that without a lonely place in our lives, we are in danger. Somewhere we know that without silence, words lose their meaning. That without listening, speaking no longer heals. That without distance, closeness cannot cure. Somewhere we know that without a lonely place, our actions quickly become empty gestures. The careful balance between silence and words, withdrawal and involvement, distance and closeness, solitude and community forms the basis of the Christian life and should be the subject of our most personal attention because a life without a lonely place, that is without a quiet center, becomes destructive. Without that place in our life, we stop believing that we are his beloved. And we start turning to those shortcuts for love that John Steinbeck was talking about. We start pursuing love and life and trying to be good and trying to do good in all these forms that end up getting warped and turned into funky ideals. And pretty soon we're doing things we could never imagine ourselves doing, caught up in vices, never coming down off the high of continual work and proving ourselves and doing But if you can have that quiet place, you can hear his love for you. Do do you have that quiet place in your life? 
I'm not just talking about turning on K-Praise on the way to work in traffic. It's good. That's not... Love K-Praise. Do you have that place where you can get alone and away from everything and be with the one who formed you and made you? Do you spend time with God and here's love for you? As we wrap this up, I want you to remember something that's probably the most important thing I'll say in all of this, and that is that your identity is not in doing this perfectly either. Because none of us are going to do it perfectly. I don't know about you, but I've realized for a very long time that I need a quiet place to get alone with God and be His, and I still fail more often than not. Your identity is not in doing this perfectly because He already did, and your identity is in Him. The good news of the gospel is that you need the desolate place to be reminded of your identity, but not to secure your identity. It's already been secured for you. Amen? Amen? Without it, you might forget who you are. You might forget how loved you are. You might forget how valued you are. But the point of this sermon is not just to follow Christ's example into the wilderness and have that quiet place, but it's to rest in Christ's sufficiency for you. That he did this perfectly for you. Because of Christ's perfect life in your place. Because he was eventually led up a hill to die. And he did. And because death couldn't hold him. So today we have hope. We have hope that one day he will make all things new like he said. We have hope that one day perfect love will cast out all fear. And not just here in our lives. It's going to start here, but it's going to radiate out. One day perfect love will cast fear out of this world. And it will be gone once and for all. We have hope that one day the anger and all the stuff that we're feeling right now as we read our news feeds in our busy moments, that that's going to be replaced by peace. And God will reign, amen? Yeah. If you've placed your trust in him, today you can hear the Father say over you, you are my beloved. I'm so pleased with you. You can start getting away with him. You can recover your life. You can hear him in the still calmness of those desolate places. You can, when you have that, you can face trials. You can face temptations. You can say, hey, life, Bring your best. Go ahead. I've got him. I, have my, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And that is all I need. That's enough. And close your eyes with me. And I just want you to know that right now in this moment, regardless of what walls you've put up and what facades you've put up and wherever you're at in this life, however broken you feel, that we have a father who knows, he knows you as you are and he loves you as you are. There's nothing greater. Today, can you hear the father's voice spoken over you? Can you, can you come down to this table of reflection in a couple of moments and claim that love for yourself? Today, I want to challenge you to dare to step out and find the freedom from all those other voices because you don't need them anymore. 
Find the freedom to commit to that quiet place in your life because you don't need to do all these things in order to find life. You already have it. And maybe, just maybe, as you do, you'll find that the love you were longing for was, was yours all along. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask yourself, I, I'm so overwhelmed right now with so many emotions. And I don't know what people in here are feeling. I can barely get past my own feelings, but I ask you to make yourself known to the people in this room right now. May they hear your love lavished on them. May they hear their name on your lips. May they know more profoundly than ever before that they are your beloved son and daughter, that you are well pleased with them. I pray a blessing on them right now. God, I bless them. They are your children, purchased with a great price, redeemed, spotless, holy, destined. I ask you to help them to rest in your love and to live lives filled with meaning and purpose and value out of that love. May they be so filled with that love that it's all they have to give to the hurting people in their life. May they be so forgiven that all they have to give to people around them is grace. May they fulfill their calling in your lives and, and never hear another voice more loudly than yours, Father as you draw them to that quiet place and you remind them who they are in you. Thank you for the good news that because of Christ's work, life, death, resurrection in our place, we are now children of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would bring that to truth so deep within our hearts over the next few moments as we sing and pray and, and respond that people would leave here changed and never go back to, the, to the, the rat race that we so often find ourselves in. May we develop that quiet place in you by your power, by your grace, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.